Gracious and Heavenly Father, be with us now. Um, mark this time and make it yours. We pray this always and ever in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, let's um, go back uh, to the comfortable words, the part uh, we still hold in right one. I guess it's in right two as well. Um, after the confession of sin and the declaration of forgiveness, we hear this. Hear what comfortable words our Savior Christ saith to all of them that truly turn to him. Come unto me, all ye that travail, and be heavy laden, and I shall refresh you. So God loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have life everlasting. Hear also what St. Paul saith. This is a true saying, and worthy of all men to be received, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Hear also what St. John saith. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. So a plug, um, this little book, which I'm basing this heavily on, um, Divine Allurement, Cramner's Comfortable Words, by Ashley Knoll, a personal friend to many of us, certainly a friend of the Advent. Six dollars right out there. Very short. Um, as I mentioned, a lot of this is uh, extra verbiage that's talking about the, the bibliography, in fact, um, or the works of, uh, of somebody named Peter Toon who died several years ago and whose honor this lecture was given, or this little booklet was produced. Uh, it's very accessible. Louise was asking. It's not over our heads. Um, it's not for a fourth grader to read, but, uh, but it's very helpful. It's very pastoral. It's got a good word. And I suggested we get it in the store because it's so cheap and it's really good um, for anybody who has an interest in the liturgy uh, and why we do what we do and the way that we do it. It's not, as Andrew is saying, probably right now, in fact. It's not just because we love to say things like half and, uh, and Seth um, those kinds of things. It's not the Elizabethan English, but the, the centrality of the gospel that's really laid out in the way it's laid out and in the reasons that Cramner and his um, tradition, uh, the Cramnerian tradition, lays it out. And Ashley Knoll is, uh, without exaggeration, one of the foremost authorities on that. So it's a great little booklet, very accessible and very cheap. So it's a great stocking stuffer for for uh, people like my father. Um, so with all that, um, just a quick review. Uh, Thomas Cramner, won't go through that uh, and, and, and say who he was again, but he was working against the, when he was sent to Germany um, and became a Protestant, when he came under all that was happening on the continent, as it would be called at that time. Uh, what was he going against? He was going against in... Uh, the idea that was prevalent, which is still prevalent today, because I think it would be called the religion, the natural religion, that we get our stuff together before we go to God, and then God looks at us, he grades us, and says, yep, he's good, um, let me give you a little bit more, uh, and then we keep choosing to go back to God, and keeping our nose clean, and and doing the right thing. We go out and we give them heaven instead of give them hell or something like that. You know, you hear a lot of these talks that are kind of built on these things, and it works. It motivates the human heart for short-term motivational change. That's not, that's not the gospel. That's not the Bible. Um, Cramner saw that, that everything was built on this grace first um, to help us choose and then merit, and as long as we keep choosing the right thing, uh, that we merit God's um, approval where the cross isn't a once final forever sacrifice it's not the um, 
oblation once offered for the forgiveness of sins. It's the oblation offered for as long as you choose to do the right thing. Um, Kramer said, that can't be true. That's not true. Um, That was what the reformation of the word that was forming the church was all about, the Reformation. Um, And Cramner came under that, where he said that God's glory is not that people do the right thing. God's glory, God is not magnified. God is not Google Earth, where we see the most God of God. We don't see God most clearly when his people uh, look clean, look right, are behaving correctly or um, doing the right thing. God isn't like, look at my class, ordered and, and happy and, and obedient. There's none of that. And that's the natural religion. My family is not glorified, God said, when all of my children line up in a row and I blow a whistle and they run exactly where I want them to go. He would say, my family, my children are glorified only in as much as I love them when they're disobedient and messy and dirty and more than that my enemies ungodly and my killers and that would be Romans 5 that God demonstrates his love for us in this Christ Jesus while we were yet sinners Christ died for us and Cramner took that word that deep word from Romans to heart and he uh, and he put it everywhere he could and his entire liturgy the work on the people what that word means. Um, So his liturgy is the word of the gospel working on us, the law and the gospel working on us to do what? To have this train this is heavily borrowed from again Ashley Knoll um, to see this movement as God's glory is to love the unworthy that grace this, this glory of God loving his disobedient children. Disobedient not just that they're like Stop! You know, I mean, it's Mel Gibson got it right. Disobedient, like I'm holding the spike as Jesus' hand is down and I'm banging it. That kind of disobedient. That we're an enemy of God, as Paul would also say in Romans 5. That God's glory is known there. That we don't not, we, it's just not that we get what we don't deserve. That's mercy. You know, I know you killed me, but I'm not going to put you in prison. I'm not going to kill you back. That'd be mercy. I know you were my murderer. It's as if God would say that. And yet I give you the keys to the kingdom. That's grace. You get the opposite, the most of the more, uh, of what you would deserve. Totally outside the grace choice merit paradigm. So Cramer saw all that. That that grace then does what? And here's this cascade. Um, Grace produces uh, uh, gratitude. Those two words are there. We produce a thankfulness. a new car, Dad? Really? But I wrecked it. I know, son. I know. But I, I don't deserve this. I was drunk. I know. Here. It's a new one. It's better than the one you had. Produces that grace, produces gratitude. The gratitude engenders love. Catch that in the colic that we'll read in just a minute. That love births repentance. Really important. Repentance is not turning away from sin, that choice. I know I'm not supposed to look at her, but I'm going to do this. That's not repentance. That's do penance, is the old way of thinking about it. Do something in terms of punishment, um, whether it's not eating chocolate during Lent or flagellating yourself on your back or like um, what we're talking about, the tutors and all that, like Thomas More would wear camel hair underneath his, uh, uh, his robe. Uh, it's not that. It's to have a shift to be changed, passive tense, in your orientation. Your direction 
It's as if the divine hand of God turns you and is to be reoriented into an entirely different access. So grace produces uh, gratitude. Gratitude engenders love. Love births repentance. And then repentance leads to good works where God is the worker. You have to quickly run that trail in there. That works certainly exist, but now we see properly how they go, that the faith which was then planted in us, which is a gift itself so that no man may boast, coming straight out of Ephesians 2, uh, faith is a lively faith. It's not a dead faith. So faith produces works in the same way that fire produces heat. You can't see fire and say, like, this is a cold fire. There's no heat. That wouldn't be fire. It doesn't happen. Faith, a gift from God, has this liveliness to it, a living and daring liveliness. It's a life to itself where without the left hand knowing what it's doing, the right hand is working, and God is the worker. Uh, And then all of this puts us out into the world um, rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Cramner caught all that, this cascade of grace-producing gratitude, gratitude engendering love, love birthing repentance, repentance, this change being turned. Oh, now I see and walking a lively faith, your steps happen um, where now the Lord is working in you and through you. So that's Cramner. That's kind of the intro where we were last week. Um, Turning grace, choice, merit. I I hear this all the time. Well, I'm going to get back to church uh, as soon as I kind of get a few things together. I don't want to show up knowing how um, awful things are with my kids or at home with my wife or you know I'm, I'm really fleecing my company or whatever else and I, it pains me every single time I hear it um, uh, seriously I mean it's a deep wound when I hear this like it's the exact opposite come now while you're in your most ungodly form when you know you were doing something that's punishable by prison come come and we're about to hear that comfortable word come 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 any, so I'll pause there. Any thoughts? So Kramer's thinking was sort of like if you have some sort of temptation or constant sin in your life, like cut it out entirely as opposed to letting it live and like punishing yourself at the same time. Yeah, but he would say the Lord will cut it out. Yeah. He's going to take your heart and give you another one. He would say come if you've got what they called concupiscence. Good good words. Word worthy of all to know. Um uh, it's often translated lust, but it's not big enough because it has sex, but it's not just sex. Um, it's the word that's there to describe what's original to us, a covetousness, a lust, a desire, because we're about to hear a lot about affections and desire. This desire for what your, your human heart, what your old heart wants, whether that's booze, sex, drugs, rock and roll, comfort, um, obedient children, whatever it is, Uh, what the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. In other words, we choose what we love. That's the natural, that's just, that's that's psychology. That's just empirically known. We choose what we love and then we justify our choices, whether that's the car that I'm driving. You know, know, I drive a 2003 Ford uh, Explorer and I justify it because I'm like, well, you know, it's an old car and, you know, it kind of fits the person that I want to be. Uh, because my heart loves the idea, just some confession here, and people are like, oh, he's so humble, look at him, he doesn't even have it. You know, all that. So I mean, it can be twisted in all sorts of ways, whether it's an old car or a spanking new BMW. You know, it goes both ways. I got no stone. 
Um, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind just we find a way to justify our behavior 100% of the time. We choose what we love. Kramer gets all that. He just says, irrespective of what it is, just come. Let the Lord do his work because he's the worker. I don't care what you love. It's wrong unless the heart has been replaced. The heart of stone becomes the heart of flesh, as Ezekiel says in several points. Um, this new heart with the Lord's name written upon it. Because heart is central to Cramner's theology. That's why we hear it so often in his liturgy. Yeah, Wait, Gary? You said uh, liturgy to work on the people. I always heard it to work on Of the people. So you're listening very closely, Gary. Um, it's led, what is the word? Light, um, ergonia. Um, like ergonomic fits the hand work and all that stuff. So light ergonia. Uh, the prepositions are, are, are open. It's a Greek word. Uh, liturgy. Is it the work of the people? It's like, I've never liked that. And a couple of years ago, I was reading about it, and it's like, it, the prepositions are open. I was like, <laughs> suddenly it fell into everything I want to believe. Remember the will justifying. Um, but I did this whole part of the scripture then fell in. It's like, that's it. The work of the people. It's not all, okay, so now come to church and now that you've kind of cleaned up your act, go and do something. Um, because it's not just the liturgy of where we, we, we do things. It shows up in the New Testament. It's really... As a, as a good friend of mine used to say, he was a deacon, and so he pronounced the blessing. I don't know if he made this up. He said, our service is over, um, and our worship begins. Go forth in the power of the Spirit. You go out into the world doing your liturgy, your work. But now it's not the work of the people. It's the work on the people. Remember who the worker is? God is the worker, always doing his work on us, changing our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Or in Conrad's great phrase, always always, always um, shining the light on the unevangelized continents within every human heart. Isn't that great? The unevangelized continents which exist in every human heart. In other words, the third in article to hold it, since it's kind of an English Reformation class. Sin doth continueth, yea, even amongst the regenerate. As all of us have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, born again, washed in the blood, Christians, all that stuff. And yet we continue to sin. We never get better. Um, this is the simul justus at Picator, laid out in our articles, at once sinner and saint, as sin continues. We don't sin less. In other words, we don't have this command, now that you've heard the word, you better choose right and do the right things out there and in here. It's not the word that brings you in, it's a different word that sends you out. It's the same word, the gospel always and always, and always alone. So with all that, um, uh, let's just read some... All right, I got my way. A um, couple of colleagues. Hear this idea that we choose what we love. Here's how Cramner put this. And this is why we do what we do in the way that we do it here at the Advent. So I was talking earlier. It's not just because we love Doth and Thou and Art and Seth. Um, we could rewrite those into modern English. It's fine. Um, it's, it's the words around it. Um, it's what it actually says that's not in the other parts of the prayer book. Um, 
So this is the colic from Lent 2. Almighty God, which dost see that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves. No heart surgeon ever did a transplant on himself. Which dost see that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves. Keep thou us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls that we may be defended from all adversities which happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul through Jesus Christ our Lord. Or the collect from Easter 4, the fourth Sunday after Easter. Almighty God, who alone canst order the unruly wills and affection of sinful men. Remember affection, what we love. Uh, grant unto thy people that thou may love the thing, uh, that they may love the thing which thou commandest and desire which thou dost promise that among the sundry and manifold changes of the world, our hearts may, sh- there's hearts. Our hearts may surely there be fixed where true, jo- true joys are to be found through Jesus Christ our Lord. This simple and massively poignant observation that we choose what we love and then we rationalize or justify, cognitively work with uh, that in our minds. Um, it works every way that if the Lord changes our heart, that there our hearts as they are surely there be fixed, um, we may then rejoice in the freedom offered by our Lord's work in our life. So within all that, one way to summarize, we, um, uh, as John Zoll so poignantly quoted Fitzsimmons Allison, uh, an alcoholic uh, has all the choices in the world. They can choose gin or bourbon or beer. They just can't choose not to drink. We can choose to sin in any number of ways. We just can't choose not to sin. Our hearts remain in need of a transplant. So then the heart focus of Cramner, which comes out all the way through, I'm not going to read all of this, but the heart runs like a red thread through this work on the people. Everything from his collective purity, which opens the service, the, the Holy Communion service. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts be open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts, not of our minds, but of our hearts. Um, and then they would recite, we would recite the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. This is uh, Galatians 3, no, Romans 3.20, that by the law comes knowledge of sin. And so we recite the Ten Commandments in the service. We don't do this anymore. We sometimes do on Lent 1. Um, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then we all respond, Lord, have mercy upon us, because by the law comes knowledge of sin. So the law, the Ten Commandments, is not read so that we'll do it. It's to say, I can't. By the law comes, I can't. I remain in need. Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law, unless the Lord would change our heart. We have no hope. Cramner got that. Lord, have mercy upon us and write all these laws in our hearts. Ezekiel 36, laid out in liturgical form. And then he continues, um, So rule our heart um, with meek heart and due reverence. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry. Um, lift up your hearts with hearty repentance and true faith. Turn unto him. Feed on him in thy heart with thy faith, with thanksgiving. We must heartily thank thee. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge. We can't get away from the word heart. That's one thing I wanted out of these two weeks was just to have that echo so that when we go back in there every Sunday, now I hope it hits us like a hammer. It's like, I can't believe I never thought about how much the word heart shows up. And it's all about this transplant, this movement, Cramner's theology 
of the heart. The gospel's theology of the heart. So, with all that, what in the world do the comfortable words do? Cramner laid out, remember his bibliography, humanist, he collected a gospel, he collected in four verses uh, the gospel. Really, the law has done its work, and now we come as miserable offenders, people that have no health in them, and we know it. We're red-handed, we're broken, we've just confessed our sins, our manifold sins and wickedness, which we most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty, provoking most justly thy wrath and indignation against us. We most heartily repent and are we most humbly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. And then we have the forgiveness declared and we dare see the light of Easter shining in. And at that moment, I mean Cramner's got the rhythm of this stuff down. I mean he was a master at this. He was a master at this. At that moment where we dared believe beyond hope that maybe, maybe maybe Easter is actually for me and not just for you people out there. It's as if he peers in and he sees our hope and that's when he says his words, here, I'm going to start crying, <laughs> hear what comfortable words. Comfort means strength, by the way. Comfortus, to be strengthened by another. Hear what comfortable words our Savior Christ saith to all them that truly turn to him. Remember what I said about orientation? Who does that? The hand of God. We don't. Who are being turned to God? Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I shall refresh you. It's from Matthew 11, verse 28. Um, the compassionate Christ, which we have on our front door. This is the subjective view of uh, of human need. In other words, how we. It starts with felt needs. I read that a lot. The church is having trouble with felt needs. And I get it. I mean, churches that stop at felt needs, you don't want to go there. But I don't want to go to a church that ignores them. There's a lot of people like, oh, we don't do felt needs. We're all about sort of the objective need. It's like, well, I hope I never do anything wrong and have to come near you. What is a felt need? I think it's a need. I never really understood that phrase. I think it's a need that we feel, like anxiety, or I'm, 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 I'm nervous, or I'm anxious, or I'm sad, or I'm in despair. And so Cramner catches that word, that travail, and are heavy laden. And he picks that word travail, not just labor for a very specific word, because it has that emotional undertone, that onfectogen, to really pull Luther into the phrase, that spiritual assault, this emotional turbidity and turmoil of being churned and churned and churned and churned on the wheel of life and just getting screwed into the ground. As the light of Easter dawns, after we've confessed our sins and had the declaration of forgiveness given, Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will refresh you. So Easter is dawning even for those of us who start, especially for those of us who start with real need. Real need. So the subjective view of human need. And then it swirls around on its axis down here at three foot, right in the middle of the muck and the mire. And it moves from the subjective view of human need to the subjective view of God. So we peer into God himself, the emotional life within the Trinity, if you want to call it that. How God is subject to the emotions uh, that Cramner catches with travail and heavy laden. And what is the emotional longing of God? 
so God loved the world, for God so loved the world. This longing to give. That what did he do in this desire for love? So God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end. To death is what that means. To the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So it starts with the felt, real human need, the longing for some relief, for some stability, for some life, for something other than what this is. And it turns around, still at the three feet, but all the way over here, and we peer into the Godhead and see his longing to save. Our longing for relief, his longing to save, and that plays around for a while. And then Cramner is still the master of rhythm and says, hear also what St. Paul said. And now it goes all the way up. And we started with the human perspective of the subjective need, and now it's the human um, perspective of, uh, of the objective problem of sin, the objective problem that faces human beings. Sin, we are separated from God, and we can't do anything about it. And so he says, This is a true saying and worthy of all to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world, Christmas, to save sinners. And this was a word that converted a man named Thomas Bilney, a contemporary who was martyred along with Tom, not along with, but around the same time as Thomas Cramner. And he said this about that. I chanced upon this sentence of St. Paul, Oh, most sweet. Hear the affect here. Hear the desire being met. Hear the, uh, the wound being salved. Um, oh, most sweet and comfortable sentence to my soul in 1 Timothy 1.15. It is a true saying and worthy of all men to be embraced that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief and principal grievously have committed. Remember that? This one sentence through God's instruction working inwardly in my heart did so gladden it which before was wounded by the awareness of my sins almost to the point of desperation that immediately... I felt such a marvelous inner peace, so much that my bruised bones leapt for joy. After this, the scripture began to be more pleasant to me than honey on a honeycomb. So this shift, this reorientation, the hand of God turning us and satisfying our desires. We choose what we love and our hearts are the generator of what we love and having our hearts changed that our love moves from love of self and stuff to God, so we would love the things which God loves. And that word captured Thomas Bilney. It was a word that made his bruised bones leap for joy and was sweeter than honey from the comb. Objectively, we have the problem of sin. But objectively, this word is a true saying, worthy of all to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Pick this verse apart so many times. Not to save people that chose correctly and we were staying on the right track, but to save sinners. And then lastly, if we started the human subjective need, felt needs, to God's longing within himself and the objective view of human sin, now God within himself, how does God solve the problem that he's created? How can I still be God and yet save these people? I've said that I can't abide sin and I have these people around. How can I let them live? And then the fourth comfortable word talks about how God, from 40, the very height of the spiral, how God solves the problem of human sin. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. 
a very specific word, and we'll end here. Um, propitiation, the sacrifice which is poured out to satisfy the wrath of God. You would propitiate you know, the God of the volcano by throwing in a virgin. And it's right there. The propitiation for our sins. God's wrath is mollified. It's satisfied. Uh, he says, it is enough. I accept. God so loves us while we yet sin that he gives himself to satisfy his own wrath. His solution to the problem of sin is absolution. He absolves us and frees us. That's what the word absolvere, absolution means. Frees us from our own problem, from our felt need, but also our objective need of unification to God. And he does that by doing all of the work himself. There is no room for my merit or choice. God takes care of the problem first, last, and always. And then it moves from there straight to the sursum corda. Corda is the word heart. Lift up your hearts. I hear John Harper in that every single time. We lift them up to the Lord. Um, it is meat. It's very meat and right so to do. Um, and he catches all that. Kramer's a master in all that stuff. And that's why we do what we do the way we do it here. Um, a gospel commonplace. Ashley No elaborates on this. Not for pages and pages and pages. I think it's about six pages. It's really well. It's worth, it's worth I was going to say 20 minutes. It might take 40 if you sort of savor it. But this is, a, this is a before work reading. You could do this. You could do this on Christmas morning before your kids wake up. You could read the comfortable words, um, the divine allurement. So maybe one question, one thought. This book, um, Divine Allurement. It's right out there by the, uh, by the door. So. Bill, is it at all possible for somebody to want to change and to kind of reorient Sure. And you could beg that out. Did I choose to reorient myself, or is that in fact the work of God pulling you away? You know, that's I don't know. I do know this. Most of the time, when I observe that, certainly when I've observed it in myself, all, or when I see it in other people, in real time, like I, I think I'm choosing this. I look back and I realize. That was totally the work of the Spirit, turning me away from what I wanted to do. So absolutely. But how it looks in real time, am I, um, am I choosing to turn away from sin and turn towards God? You know, I, I, I leave that open. Certainly at some level, absolutely. We choose. We, this is not to say we don't have choice. Remember, we choose how to sin. We just can't choose not to sin. We choose all the time. I chose this tie. Um... And I choose to, I don't know, not drop a bomb, you know, cuss right in front of y'all right now. Um, not that that's sin, but anyway, that's a stupid example. Strike that from the record. Jim? Can you comment just a minute about the difference between our mind and our heart? Yeah, I can try. Um, I think the way it kind of lays out, it's from Philip Melanchthon, if y'all care. Um, he's the first one to really kind of lay this out. The mind is, is more the brain, it's more the cognitive part. We think of the mind as a now, and, and not, not wrongly, the mind isn't simply the brain. Um, uh, the mind 
it's actually really interesting in the literature right now, like 2016, 2015 literature, where is the mind? That's actually out there a lot in sort of the neuroscience literature that I'm sort of a third-hand observer about, um, which I think is really interesting. We don't really know where it is. It's somewhere in the gut, too, because a lot of the stuff that's in the brain, like serotonin and norepinephrine, it's also made in the gut, which is why you, we talk about, well, in my gut, I just feel like it's the right thing. Your gut actually thinks is what a lot of people think. The mind, the mind-gut, and they still call it gut, which is really interesting. Like, these PhDs are written on the gut, and I'm like, can't we have another word? But, um, so we don't really know where the mind is. Within Melanchthon and Cramner and others, uh, it's, it's the cognitive apprehension of what I'm doing or what I think I'm doing. That's the mind. Um, it's the part of us that justify and rationalize, that think. Cognito, uh, ergo sum, you know, Descartes' place. That's the mind. I should stop. Happy to stay, but let me pray. For your word, Lord, comfortably offered um, through your servant Thomas Cramner, and now still echoing throughout all these years, turn our hearts to you that we may surely there be fixed um, on you and your comfortable word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all.